Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Space Above and Beyond, episodes 20 and 21. This machine, these wires, will save millions of lives. This plan, my idea is my part to bring everyone home soon, safe. And I would think you could believe in and trust someone who's working to be able to spend a night with you back home, rather than going out to look up your name on some war memorial wall. I believe in my plan. I believe in myself. It's what a machine can't feel, that you and me can, that scares me. In more ways than one. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast with coffees and teas this morning as we ring in a bright new day. Yeah. Are we all drinking? I have a tea. What do you have? Okay, coffee. I have coffee as well. Okay. And we have banana bread. That's true. It's only the best here at Continuum Drag. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan, and that voice you just heard uh, was our returning guest, Jane. Welcome back, Jane. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. You sort of joined us very early on when we were watching Space Movie Beyond, like right near the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the episode numbers. Was it like six and seven? I think it was six and seven. Yeah. That, that sounds right to me. So that would of- have been like your third recording yeah, because right, you were doing them in pairs, or maybe the fourth. A lot has like, changed. Characters have had haircuts. I've noticed. Secret superpowers have been given to characters. I heard. For, at least for one episode. What else has happened in the show? The opening changed. Opening changed. Uh, what's his face? Uh, McQueen got that chip out of his out of his ear. So he's oh, that his, I'm not. So I, I haven't. I should I should let you guys know. I have not been watching. I had grand plans to continue to watch the show because I did enjoy it a lot when I did the podcast with you guys, but you know life. So I didn't, and I, so I've watched the two episodes that we're doing today. But all of my knowledge of what's happened in between comes entirely from listening to your podcast. Right. You you stopped after Enemy. Yes, I did. That's right. I don't think it changes much, though. It's not like we've talked about it before. It's a serialized show, but it's not heavily serialized. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Well, that's the thing that I, I was sort of noticing. And we can talk about it later in terms of some of the characters. And I figured by this point, they would have changed more. And mm. they hadn't. So, hey, but we can talk about that when, when we get there. Yeah, so I, well, I'll be curious to see what your thoughts are, seeing as you were there so early. And now this is the penultimate episode of the podcast on Space Bone Beyond. Mm-hmm. So we're right at the end. I was curious. You mentioned the opening credits have changed, which is something that happened very midway through the season. Mm-hmm. Do you think it helps? Yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, I think I think it's clear that they are do they were doing it to try and engage viewers more for people who didn't wouldn't watch regularly. And I think that was always an issue with network television and things that were serialized is there was always this this tug of war between having a story that continued week to week that fans would enjoy where you had characters changing and growing and you didn't have to re-explain yourself every time and the network saying, no, we want to be able to have people come in and watch at any time and we want to be able to air the episodes out of order and we want to be able to do all of these things. So I, I expect that that's exactly what it was. They were like, oh, the ratings are not very good coming into the middle of the season. We need to jumpstart this. We need to do something. So let's... 
let's do this opening. But it was interesting that it was from McQueen's perspective. Yeah, they've just they've decided like he's the main character in there, which he wasn't really at the beginning. But what I like about the opening is at the very end they have to get the title in. He's like, "We'll fight to the end, above and beyond." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, all right." Yeah, and it still has kind of that sort of goofy music that doesn't yeah. really go with the show. But I, I did think that was interesting because that's one of the things that I started noticing coming in again so late in the show is that West, aka Worst, does not <laughs> seem to be the main character anymore. Not only is he not all. the main character, he's a bit player at this point i actually kind of feel bad for the actor that he's now he's got some scenes but not any more than anyone else yeah i mean i think it's helped though i I like him more when he's sort of just popping in to be a voice of reason or something yeah i guess yeah he was not a great lead as we we talked about Mm -hmm. he was just he was i think he was a little bit miscast and just the character of like having that character be the lead of this show probably wasn't the best idea story-wise i I think it's safe to say I don't think we're ever going to finish his plot line. Unless something magically happens in the last episode. I don't think we're ever going to find out what happens to a goo girlfriend. Well, do you guys know, because I didn't look this up, at what point the show knew that they were canceled? Do you know? I don't. There's actually an article I still need to read before next week's episode about the cancellation of it. I actually think they never knew. I don't think they knew while they were shooting. I think it was going to be a second season as far as they knew. I don't. Yeah, right. I think the decision was made long after the shot, shooting was done. So they didn't have the opportunity to wrap up the series in, in I, writing. We haven't fi- figured out, but I assume it, that it's not going to wrap right, up. Right, right. Okay. So we might end on like a horrible cliffhanger. I, I think there's a, a distinct possibility that it happens. This is something that happened in the last set of episodes is they had this very fun that didn't really work out though. Uh, R&R episode where they go to like a pleasure ship. Mm-hmm. That episode has a cameo by Coolio and a cameo by David Duchovny. What? So they really were pulling the stops up for this. Like that's mm-hmm. not a thing you do for a show you're about to cancel right right they were really doing a push so i do feel like coolio don't come out for no canceled show yeah i feel at this point they thought this was happening right certainly certainly they were putting the money to make it happen anyway interesting yes and it's definitely especially in the in episode 21 there's definitely a bunch of money in that one yeah well uh, it's fun we'll talk about this a little as we go on but uh we definitely noticed a distinct upgrade in this show Mm -hmm. about halfway through they clearly had an injection of money and you'll see the special effects got better and even the sets everything just looks a little bit better Mm -hmm. there's wider wider shots Mm -hmm. and stuff yeah yeah i did notice that all right before we get started everyone uh this isn't really a segment but i was doing a little bit of work trying to uh do some more research on the show before we were going on and i ended up going through uh the youtube videos of the episodes that are online because someone's uploaded all of them to YouTube, so that's a place you can watch the show. Uh, and I kind of started reading through a few of the comments. I'm like, what are what are people saying about this show these days? Ooh, I like this. So I just wrote down a couple of my favorites because I was just like, these are some fun comments from uh, from the people of the internet. I assume it's just going to break down to like, you liberal cuck, that sort of thing. Isn't that what every single conversation on, on YouTube eventually becomes? I mean, there were a few of those for yeah. sure. But I, I, I'll, I cherry picked the ones I enjoyed the most. There was one comment specifically on The Enemy, the show you were here to watch. Yeah. Um, from John Smith, he said, that kind of episode is why these programs die. That That is hmm. possibly true. I thought that was very astute because that yeah. was a bad episode. Which episode was that? I don't remember. The fear one. Fear plan. Oh, yeah, that was bad. It was so bad. I thought that was an astute, astute observation from a mm. YouTuber uh, making comments. Wallace Wood said, uh, do they have zero letting budget? <laughs> yeah it is dark <laughs> although there was a few episodes there and these ones are kind of dark again but there was a few episodes where it got i was really happy with you could actually see people but then they've gone back to like yeah hey, we're on grime planet <laughs> dirt on our face all right 
Uh, the voice of Reeson has another theory about why the show was canceled. Was it, hold on, was Reese spelt like Reese's peanut butter cups? Like they're a real big fan of those? It's spelled uh, R E S O N N. Oh. Mm. Oh, Reeson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, all right. He, uh, he, his theory why it was canceled is Fox cancel show because it was too real for the Marines in past battles. Oh, so people were getting PTSD from watching the show. <laughs> yeah, but they that, complained to Fox, I doubt and it. Fox had I to cancel it. it. That's his I, theory. I remembered when the Chiggy Man made me bend over, sort of thing. That, that's that's my post traumatic stress, by the way. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Very sensitive of me. Uh, and uh, my final one I like enjoyed was from uh, Colin Patterson, and he said, "Do you think the aliens were taught trigonometry in school?" Oh, that's amazing. Trigonometry. Trigonometry. Nice. <laughs> that sounds like one of your opening episode puns, Luke. It's true. That it was better than this week's, that's for sure. Mm. Trigonometry. Trigonometry. Anyway, it's not really a segment, but I was, I was reading these comments and I was getting some joy out of them. So that's I thought a segment. Share them you. you did it. I did it. <laughs> hey, you did it. Filled some time. Yeah. All right. Shall we, shall we get into these episodes? Okay. All right. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 20. Stardust. I really hope it's Keith as me. I'm telling you now. The 58th are given the highest top secret mission of the whole Earth war effort. So secret, they don't know the whole details of the mission objective. But the mission must not and cannot fail. Dun, dun, dun. That summary was, of course, by Keith is me. Yes. He loves this show. What is the name of the person? Keith is me. Keith is me. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Keith is that person. He loves it. Yeah. Do, we, we haven't ever looked. Did he ever review any other, or maybe she, excuse me, um, reviewed any other shows? You can't, uh, I can't click on the name and see that. Oh, really? I'll, I'll mm. only know when I stumble across more Keith is me. Mm. Getting into it, the episode sort of begins with some dude getting put to death in a military prison. There's like a real lethal injection moment. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it took a long time to contextualize that. Yeah, it was shot in a weird way. I assumed he was getting put in the freezer a la Tech War, didn't you, Luke? <laughs> I hadn't considered it, but that would have been great. Yeah. I always like thinking that all these shows that we've watched exist in the same universe somehow. Um, but yeah, it, it took a long time. There was a lot of shots of like a wall of like injection stuff. And now we're looking at tubes and all this. I was like, who is this guy? And then the, I don't know, it just kept going on and on. Everything in this episode was very slow. I think that they were short. This is my theory about this episode is that it came in short and they had to lengthen it. And so there are a lot of moments where it's really slow for no apparent reason. Mm. And right from the get go, I felt that. Yeah. I, I mean, the execution goes on for a while and you're, it's without any sort of context. And then we jump to the Saratoga where Commodore Ross is in bed on his uh, in his birth. That was one of my favorite things. I think it's the first time we've seen. No, it's not true. They're always in their little bunks, but I liked his uh, his room a lot better. He looked like he was sleeping in a low-end hotel. I liked it. <laughs> it was like there's a little nightstand table with a crappy lamp. Yeah. I was like, how is this a spaceship uh, bedroom? Yeah, well, the whole ship doesn't really make sense. There's like a hospital on and there's a restaurant. And there's apparently a bowling alley. Right. Some uh, ensign or something runs into his room and announces that they've received a coded transmission. And the password is changing woman. Oh, Yeah. I wrote down sexy woman. <laughs> I, I clearly wasn't listening. I did not write down what the password was, but I remember thinking that it was very weird, that it was like an unusual. But I guess I, there's been a bunch of unusual passwords that at yeah. least in these two episodes. So I assume maybe there have been some others as well in the episodes that I've missed. 
there are certainly like call signs they or like call and responses they use that are a bit odd or passwords. This one was definitely one where I'm like, it doesn't really give any indication what the actual event is. When we finally find out, I was like, oh, what does changing woman mean? Who's yeah, changing? It doesn't mean anything. It, does, it doesn't mean anything. But at any rate, this password gets uh, Commodore Ross to lock down the entire ship because something super mysterious is happening. And uh, another transport arrives, and on board is the cryogenically frozen body of whoever that prisoner was. Every time that kind of frozen popsicle man shows up, they play that sort of native Indian music mm -hmm. to go with it. Did that not feel weird to you? Well, it felt weird because I don't, unless I missed it, I don't think they mentioned that he was indigenous in the in the uh, death sequence at the beginning. No, no, it wasn't until later. So, so it wasn't yeah. until way later that that was even connection was even made. So it was very, I thought it was a little weird. Yeah, no, uh, that sort of like indigenous like music, quote unquote, it's just like a sting they kept putting in. It was very much like um, Harsh Realm where they did an episode full of uh, indigenous people. Oh, yeah. And yeah, all it is is mysticism and like that's their way of like stinging it. I think the show did it a bit better than Harsh Realm did for sure. But it was like very much like, oh, aren't they mystical? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very strange 90s way of dealing yeah. with it. Well, it was also weird because, well, actually, at least that guy is actually an indigenous person. That, that is actor true. That actor is. Is. And he's also an indigenous activist in various things. But the 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 lead, the, the general, or the general who we'll get to, is totally not. Yeah. He's yeah, that's what I thought, too. Right. He just like he doesn't even have a tan. I'm just saying, well, he just looked like he just no, looked like indigenous people have to be tan. No, no, I know, but he he just looked like he just looked like a normal white dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. There's a general. He they'll come to know him as the highest ranking Native American in the uh, U.S. military. It's just an odd casting to clearly cast someone who's not who's indigenous. not. And then you have to spend a lot of time talking about it. Then you have to write it into all the lines and say it 50 times because they're not recognizably that right. and so you have to force everyone into believing that they're that and it takes all this extra screen time and then the guy they hired who is indigenous is it's, a prisoner who plays a corpse he's a corpse for the entire <laughs> like show if, if you ever worry about like what is the problem with representation in hollywood like this is the issue i read something on his imdb apparently the guy who played the corpse had won an award uh as the, one of the best american indigenous actors at some point yeah gets yeah. to play a corpse for and an entire gets, episode yeah. Like, I mean, it's an, it's an easy paycheck. But I'm sure I know, I know that's not the issue. The general. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is very funny. And especially, yeah. where is Graham Greene? Just, you've got options. Where is Graham Greene <laughs> when you need him? You've got options. Anyway, what we kind of come out of this sort of lockdown of the Saratoga is uh, the 58 doesn't get woken up in the morning with the usual reverie. They can't get to their hammerheads because they're initially locked in their bunks and then they're locked out of the hangar. And they get really pissy about it. They're very upset. Mm -hmm. And they seem to just go to the bar. Are they getting drunk in the morning? They must have other duties other than just flying. Just flying. Well, I guess presumably they would have to write paperwork about the, the, I would, the missions I would love that they flew. for there to be an episode where they're just doing paperwork all day. That would be hilarious. But what sort of happens is they get back into their hammerheads eventually because the lockdown ends. And they kind of heard something happening in the hangar when they drop by. They're like, oh, so they're working on our ships or something. So West and Vanson go and sneak around the hammerheads and find little boxes have been attached to the controls inside. Mm -hmm. They're very upset that someone's tampered with their planes. Just because you're a pilot, do you also know the mechanics of your plane? Because like she was just like, oh, I know how to like get into the engine of this thing. And I was like, do you? Don't you just know how to fly it? I think they're supposed to. I don't know. I don't. Like I know that's kind of being nitpicky. And in TV, they always do. 
Yeah. The pilots always know how to fix their planes and do stuff to their planes. Not being an actual pilot in real life, I'm not actually sure. All right, pilots, email us in and let us know. Do you know how to fix the engine on your plane? <laughs> no one's going to email in. Uh, what, I, what I found more nitpicky on my side was uh, they basically go and tell everyone in the 58th that, oh, so they put some secret box into your thing and they all break them off and take mm. them out of their plane because they're about to go on this super secret mission, which they have no information. I'm like, well, those boxes... Yeah. We're definitely installed for that. Did no one who's running the super secret mission notice you disconnected the electronic Well, not, not only that, but like, so I'm assuming they've gone on other missions where they haven't been given all that information. If they all found there was something there, you would have to assume the military is not trying to kill them. So why would you just tamper with your own ship? Because like, what if that was important, which as we learn, was important to the mission and almost does ruin it because, I don't know, Vanson can't stop pulling things off her engine. That's true. Their, their mission is to... Follow a transpo ship just sort of off into space in this very safe sector. They can't figure out why they're doing it. The transpo ship is kind of like flying all wonky and weird. I think I think Dampu says, uh, Dampu says, what, what does she say? She says this guy's DUI. Oh, yeah. Is, is that what she said? Yeah. He said, he's, she's like, is this guy stoned or dead or what? Yeah. <laughs> they get out into space. Some uh, target drones fly at them and the little uh, little transpo shoots them all out of the air like like it's nothing. And then because they've pulled these boxes out, it starts taking pot shots at them too. Presumably because those little boxes were to tell whatever robot that was running the ship not to shoot them. But it wasn't a robot. It's as we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. It's fine. You can go ahead. But it was what they were calling telepresence, right? Which is basically a VR with like a headset and a thing that looks like the power glove, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And and so it's a person remotely flying. Yeah, it's like a drone pilot in in an office somewhere was flying it. Right, was flying it. So it's still not clear to me why they would – like you presumably – the pilot in the office has to determine whether or not to fire missiles or rockets or whatever at anything. So why it still doesn't make sense why they would fire on. It's true. On uh, the 58th. The idea that it would shoot at them didn't make sense. Once we later learned that it was just an actual human piloting the craft. Uh, the indication was initially, I think the implications would be, Oh, is some sort of mystery behind this. Is it an AI? Is it one of these dead bodies? Like what's going on on this ship? But you're right. Once we kind of learn, it's like, oh, it's just a lady who flies. I thought that's where it was going was that it was going to be they were using like brainwaves from the dead people to fly the ship. And they were like trying to find a new way to not lose actual people in missions. I thought it was gonna be something kind of like that. But then it was like, oh, no, she just has like power glove from 1989 (laughs) that she's flying the ship with. Well, that is the mystery they build because they bring this body on and you're not sure why. You just had to watch this whole buildup of him being executed. And I agree. Because they've been seeding this idea, and Jane, this will be new to you, someone posited a theory about the Chigs and they're not understanding death and the, like, the idea of an afterlife, and that perhaps the Chigs even think that as many as 50% of human forces are reanimated corpses or the living dead. The Chigs think that. The th- someone theorized this in an earlier episode. And what I thought we were about to see is this secret branch of the military that was reanimating the dead. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is going to be what, what that lead-in was about. Unfortunately, it's not about that at all. But I thought for sure we were going to get zombie pilots. It did seem like of all the options they had, they took the most boring one that was possible. Well, I think it's because they wanted that character, the blonde yeah, lady. The secret, the secret, uh, like secret government conspiracy 90s yeah woman led by sexy sexy secret lady sexy oh i like that name sexy sexy secret lady 
She's the one they were talking about, uh, Lady Changing. Changing Earlier. Woman? Changing Woman, that's the one. <laughs> I just kept thinking of menopause. I'm like, is this your code? Is menopause? Like, changing yeah, they, woman. They, had to, they had to let him know that there was some some woman on board that was going through menopause and they had to warn Commodore Ross not to get in her way. <laughs> See, I was reading into Changing Woman as some sort of like reanimating corpse thing where I'm like, oh, they're changing people into something else. Right. But you were so excited about the zombies. Like. I was really thought there was going to be zombies in this oh, episode. Man. At any rate... The 58th kind of shoot an engine on this little thing, on this transpose so they can get away from it. They get back to the ship and they're in a lot of trouble for firing on a on a friendly ship. But Vanson decides to get in the face of this uh, Native American general who's there who sent them on this mission. She's kind of like yelling at him about not giving them all the details and messing around with their ships. And General Ranford, he respects her. He respects her for getting in his face. For yelling. Yeah, for yeah. yelling at her. It's one of those things that only happen in TV, where if you did it in real life, no one would respect you for yelling at your boss. They very rarely. Very, very rarely. Particularly in the military. Yeah. In front of other people. I like your gumption. But he does. He likes her gumption. So he invites the entire 58th to a mission briefing to really explain what this secret mission he's not allowed to talk about is all about. And this was so goofy, because why wouldn't you just brief them I know. This this has been a problem that's happened in a few episodes, where... They don't tell, I guess, the wild card specifically why they're on a mission. And then later on, they're like, here's why you're on the mission. But there was never a reason why other than it gives the viewer an idea or a feeling there's some going to be some suspenseful reason. And, and there's not. And there's it's- not. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also sort of you end up getting a little just distracted. Like I completely thought when they came back and then they got out of their cockpits and then they were getting yelled at and they were in trouble. I'm like, I thought that it was a trap. Like, I thought that they had run this entire mission in order to indict the 58th in some kind of like right. crime, like a crime or whatever, to have fired, forced them into a situation where they have to fire on their own ship and then they come back and suddenly they've been involved in a friendly fire incident and they have to go to the brig or like, that's what I thought. That's where I thought the story was going. And then suddenly they were like, oh, no, we're OK with you guys and it's fine that you took it out and we'll just tell you what happened. So yeah. it just, just de- deflated all, everything. All those scenes that just happened, don't worry about it. They don't matter. All right. Now here's yeah. where the episode starts. That's right. Yeah. General Ranford. Ran- is, his name is Ranford? Uh, that's what I got off the MDB. Hmm. General Ranford brings him to this mi- sort of intelligence briefing. He's a high-ranking intelligence officer. Apparently what's been happening is the Chigs know every move Earth is making in preparation for Operation Roundhammer, which uh, also gets called D-Day 2. I know. I actually thought when they mentioned D-Day 2, it was one of those fun science fiction things where they were referencing something in the past. Like, oh, well, you guys know, remember when D-Day 2 happened in 2022 or whatever it was, but it wasn't. They're referring to their day as D-Day 2. Yeah, this this operation is going to be that big. It really, I mean, the show loves to lean into the idea that it is just World War II in space and these two episodes particularly. Though I didn't hate it. I thought it was in a good way. It was in an okay way. I Yeah, I, I sort of feel like they're leaning on a bit too much. I, it's actually, I think we've talked about this before, either off the air or on there. It's my least favorite thing about this show. I just want, and I know this is, it's my own personal feelings. I want this to be, I'm fine that's the military and all that, but like an adventure show where they're in space, but they lean so hard onto like it's World War Two and all of the just like ugh, they just get into the weeds of the military. And I'm just like, I don't care. So I feel bored. like you want this to be a show that's a completely different show. That's story. what it is. I, I realize it's my fault. Yeah. It's my fault because I keep watching like I hope it's going to be this other show that it never intended to be. No, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's my fault. I mean, this particular episode, what they kind of learn is the mission they're on 
is basically a recreation of a classic World War II actual operation, Operation Mincemeat, where they dropped a dead body off of France, in uh, Nazi-occupied France, dressed as a high-ranking military official with secret plans handcuffed to his arm. And when the Germans got a hold of these plans, they changed their battle plans, thinking they had secret information. And it was just disinformation. It was sort of a big, big military intelligence plan back in World War II. And that's what they're recreating here, is they're going to take this dead body, dress him up like a general, put him on this transpo ship, and have the 58th fly him over an enemy planet. And when they accidentally shoot down the transpo ship, they're going to fly away panicking and the Chigs will find the dead bodies and get sort of misinformation from them and hopefully allow them to get ahead of however the Chigs are developing their own intelligence on Earth. It's quite the plan. It's it's uh, I mean, it's a good plan. It worked in World War Two. I don't see why it won't work, work here. I liked it, though. I, I thought it was a good episode plot line. I mean, you're right. It took a while for us to learn mm-hmm. it. But once I was there, I'm like, oh, great. Why don't you guys just start there? Both these episodes for, and again, I know I didn't love them for my own personal reasons, but both of them had actual plots, which has been a weird thing they haven't had the last few episodes where it was just seemed to be a jumble of ideas. At least both these episodes had a plot that they were like, they started and finished. Right. Now, there's a side note about this little plan they're putting together. It's not as key to it, but it explains why there's so much about this indigenous general. And they sort of imply because they start talking about Navajo code talkers, another yeah. World War II thing where they use Navajo to trick the Nazis because they couldn't crack that code because it wasn't a like numerical code. It was actually a language. And there's some implication that they still use that system, that the code, that the plans they are going to drop on this enemy planet with mm-hmm. the dead bodies are also written in Navajo. Yeah, and that was that sort of brought up a bunch of questions that I had that maybe you guys haven't could answer because you've seen more episodes, which is what do the humans and the chigs know about each other's languages? We don't know. And their communications, like can they understand each other's languages? We don't know anything right now. We yeah. all we know is the chigs apparently communicate like dolphins. They sort of use um not sonar. What what would you call it? They they have a series of sort of clicks and noises that right. that's how they communicate, which we learned from this weird British guy in this one episode. Okay. Um, but we do know that they have been watching humans for a long, long time, so they're clearly making ideas and figuring things out, but they just haven't nailed certain concepts. So I don't think they can speak English, but they can communicate enough that they they're dealing with the uh, the, the silicates, silicates. right? Right. So I guess I guess the question is, what is the necessity to have this code be in Navajo? Well, that is the big question, because as McQueen asks when he finds out that that's kind of they're using the Navajo code, what's the point of a mission where you drop false information if it's information they can't decode? And the implication is they can decode it. Right. Yeah. In fact, they say there was an operation. I think they refer to the operation in World War II as a... Uh, uh, Nayayi, mm-hmm. which the general says in Navajo means alien gods. Right. I think the implication is that the Chigs have been on Earth thousands of years ago interacting with at least one Navajo oh. tribe. Oh, this is oh, way really? Oh, I didn't get I that. From that. Because he, they're dropping fake plans written in the Navajo language, which the general's like, we know they can decode. Mm-hmm. Which McQueen's like, how would they know how to do that? And then he says, well, you remember the name of that mission was this Navajo word, which means alien gods. 
And they keep have been they've been saying in many episodes now that the Chigs know too much about Earth, that they have been one silicate said that they've been watching humanity for a long t- longer than we realize. Mm hmm. This seems to be tying into some idea that there's some sort of ancient aliens sort of tie into all of this, I think. Right. Mm. Interesting. Or, I mean, I guess the the simpler version of that without too much alien conspiracy in it is just that they the Chigs know, seem to know a fair bit about Earth history. And because Navajo was used as a code in like what I guess was in this world is like the last big human war, that the Chigs would have studied that to learn human tactic. They would have looked at world, the Chigs would have looked at World War II to look at human tactics and human strategy and might have just put Navajo in their back pocket to be like, oh, Mm. and they use this. Okay, let's make sure we're we're familiar with that. Right, right. Right? Oh, they use use these techniques. Let's make sure we're familiar with those. They're just just thorough researchers. Yeah, yeah. Well, as as I learned later in episode 21, they've done some research so they can heckle. That's true. Which we can talk about. I, uh, I like my version where they built the pyramids. I was That's literally what I was going to say, Luke. I think they built the pyramids. <laughs> Thanks for stealing my line. <laughs> but yeah, that sort of lays out most of this secret mission. This is also, we get a little bit of background on that man who was executed, who was also um, a Navajo guy that this general knew. Sort of like, this is the only moment where they sort of get into sort of the systemic racism of the indigenous people in the United States, the idea that this guy had a tough upbringing, the general found him in prison, recognized a lot of his tough upbringing in him and sort of got him into the Marines. And when he was in the Marines, he got put under this lieutenant general and she was pretty racist to him. I think she called him Tonto. Is that what they said? Yeah. And anyway, there's sort of this whole backstory about how some medals were stolen from her. So she blamed the dead guy, this guy who had been executed, but would eventually be executed. He goes to her house after hours to try to talk to her, and then she ends up dead, and then no one knows what happened. There's a whole thing where we learn a whole bunch of backstory about this car, this corpse, Mm -hmm. this man we only Mm -hmm. see as a corpse for the movie. And there's really not a lot of, I guess the idea is to show that, like, he's giving purpose to the dead, but... He's giving the guy the uh, purpose he didn't have in life, or the chance to be a hero that he didn't didn't take advantage of or wasn't given the opportunities in life. It's an interesting emotional idea. I just don't know how it tied in with any of the characters on the show. Well, that's the thing is I felt like it was really a missed opportunity because I felt like there could have been writing wise a real opportunity to, to equate him with Hawks a little bit because Hawks has a similar Hawks is from, you know, a, a type of, he's a type of person that is systemically discriminated against by humans because he's a tank. He had a tough upbringing. He had, you know, a shitty life in school. He escaped, was on the street doing all, you know, he was basically essentially a criminal. Then he got taken in by the Marines, but he's been successful. As opposed, because his commanding officer, who is McQueen, is a good person, as opposed to this guy's commanding commanding officer officer who was Mm. shitty. You're right, this could have happened to him. It's a perfect dovetail story. And Hawks could have learned about this guy and sort of come to his own character revelations about how it could have been him, that could have been his fate, but he's lucky to have found the 58th. I mean, it's just so obvious to me. But instead of doing that, they just had an expositional conversation and then moved on with the story. (laughs) All right. So, so far we have... These other ideas for this episode. Uh, Hawks as a corollary to this dead man. Um, there's an episode where it's all about zombies. There's an episode where the 58th are falsely accused of a crime. 
we got a lot of good ideas that could have been this episode that just weren't. Yeah, yeah. We should have been in the writer's room. What's going on? <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, after this, they kind of launch the mission. Um, we kind of see this colonel, this mysterious intelligence colonel who actually never gets a name. But she flies the ship, as Jane mentioned, with kind of a power glove and this like cool VR thing. It's fine. It, it's a cool little. A I little like that. I, I wish there was more like that in the episode. They go off on the mission. They fight some chigs, fly through an asteroid field, let the plane get shot down over the planet, mm-hmm. pretend to panic and fly back. And, and that's kind of the end of the episode. The end. It was actually I, I wrote down very specifically the sequence where they launch, where they were like doing the funeral rites for the indigenous guy, James Darkmoon. And then they were all getting into their cockpits and flying. I thought that was fantastic. Thought it was really well done. The music was good. The cutting was really good. It was well paced. I actually like got goosebumps when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, this is this. I thought I don't know. Did you guys like that? Their space flight and space battle stuff has improved. Yeah, exponentially. Yeah. I'm just talking about show. like the launch though. Like when they're in the in the oh, bay yeah. and all of they're all getting into their cockpits and it's going down. It was just this really really nice montage. That it's, it's a good was sequence. Well done. I actually was thinking about that, too. That's one of the few sets that have been around since the beginning is that uh, shuttle bay for the cockpits that lower into the ground. And it's one of the few things they built off the top of the show that was, like, spot on. It's something that still works on the show. Yeah. They've replaced a lot of the sets since the beginning mm-hmm. with, with better with better sort of sets and ideas. But that one still is actually one that works very well. It works very well because conceptually it's so interesting to have them essentially – you don't because they never know if they're going to come back from their mission and the fact that they're lowering into the ground every single time they leave creates an ominous feel every time they go they launch to go somewhere instead of it being sort of excitement of like you know jumping into a some kind of starfighter or something mm-hmm. like that it's like it's always this very somber yeah there's thing. a there's a gearing up sequence where you have to get ready to go yeah. it, it works well it's that's clever. that kind of stuff does work well on the show I mean, and that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, it's funny. There's another little subplot that goes nowhere where this mysterious colonel woman who flies the stuff has a conversation with Hawks about how you can't know how to fly a plane if you're not out there for real. And it seems to be a subplot they set up midway through, but never amounts to anything. It did seem weird to me that that so when the telemetry thing breaks partway through. The mission. mission. And so the 58th have to just speak to her by radio and say, you know, go Go left, left, go right. right. But basically, so Hawks is telling her where to go. Like, oh, there's a bogey at your two o'clock or whatever. And then McQueen's standing there being like, right ahead. And then and he's like, and there's a bogey at your five. And McQueen's like, right to the rear. Like this woman doesn't know clocks. Like she doesn't Mm. know. She doesn't understand directional and I'm like, you're you're a pilot. You're still a pilot. Like she she, she has to still excellent be a pilot. research abilities, though, because remember, there's that scene where she comes into the uh, into the bar through the by the way saloon doors. I don't know if we all noticed that. It was one of my favorite parts of the show is that the the bar apparently has like space saloon doors to enter it. Um, but then when she talks to Hawk, she's like, I know you. You were born and blah blah blah, and you came from here. And I always love when people do that in TV because oh, why would you ever memorize all these information? It's like I know what your phone number is, yeah. and I know what's your waist size. It's like that's weird to know all that. Yeah. That doesn't or- make you look cool. It makes you look like a creep. If you know it for some kind of top secret reason, why would you tell someone that you knew it? Keep it in your back pocket for when you actually need it. But that's, I I actually wrote down in my notes, is this one of the problems with this show generally? Is that that kind of thing where it's like, it's such a cheesy moment and it's so cliche that she sits there and she rhymes and it's so, and it's done so earnestly and she's not a very good actress, sorry to whoever it was, but she pulled it off badly and it just it just felt so writerly and purposeless 
the the show has a has a tendency to not commit one way or another to things. So tonally, even with the plots, like it's like they are always pulling back. And I think to the show's detriment mm-hmm. where it's like, we're going to introduce a new character. Uh, we don't want to tell you too much about him, but we'll do it in this weird clumsy way. Or like, we're going to do a plot, but maybe we'll throw in another subplot that for no reason, like they just are always making weird choices constantly. And it stops the show from being great. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. I mean, I think with this Colonel, we see this subplot with her and how can she fly a plane that never goes anywhere. Same with the prisoner who dies. He needed some saving or his like reputation to be saved, but that doesn't really also tie into the show. It's ideas that are just plopped into an episode. Yeah. And then never really tied into a a theme or an idea and just kind of like go away. We did learn, though, that uh, Commodore Ross's guitar was named Rosalind. I know. (laughs) That was fun. That was that was fun. Yeah. So on to 21. Yeah, let's move on to 21, um, because there wasn't too much to speak on that episode. This radio's dead. It fried out about 12 days ago. Why didn't you tell us? You've been putting us through this charade for the last two weeks? Whoa, does, does Captain Vanson think we couldn't handle it? What do you think, we're children? A bunch of idiots? Back off, Hawks. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna throw me in the brig for striking an officer? That's the kind of leader you are, a liar. I am not one of you anymore. All right, here's the IMDb summary for episode 21, Sugar Dirt. That's what it's called. I didn't know it was called Sugar Dirt. For that one scene, they call the whole episode Sugar Dirt. Sugar Dirt. Oh my god! Oh man! A planetary invasion by Earth military forces is ambushed and turns into a military disaster. Among the scattered, abandoned, and demoralized Marines are the 58th, struggling to survive. That summary, uh, no one, no one took credit for it on IMDb, and actually was considerably longer. I had to heavily editorialize Mm. it down. I really like sugar dirt, though. It's like a horrible, horrible term of endearment. I like these two episodes. It's Stardust and then Sugar Dirt. Hmm. One after the other. Oh, nice double album. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that means anything, but uh, two S's. I liked it. You guys, Operation Roundhammer has finally started. <laughs> yeah. It's been teased for so long. We get to meet the Supreme Commander of Earth Forces, which is a very funny title for I know. someone. I think you're probably not supposed to like him, but I hate him. I don't know if it's the actor or the character. I just hated him. Every time he showed up, I'm like, ah, it's this guy again. Was that the, the guy that you... Have we seen him before? Have you Never. guys seen him before? Never. Oh, no. I wasn't sure if he was the guy that you thought maybe was supposed to be played by Philip Seymour Hoffman when you were talking about no, him. No, I wish that podcast. guy came back. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy Philip looked Seymour a little Hoffman. bit like a very, very poor version of Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, this guy was like, oh, I don't know. I, I just Every time he showed up, he's like, I'm in charge. Like, go away. <laughs> He's standing at a little light-up map of the galaxy, and he's pushing his little army pieces around to kind of, like, plan a battle like you do in a classic military fiction. Yeah, he's apparently Napoleon. And he's joined, actually, I thought it was interesting, by a bunch of other leaders. Like, there's a Chinese military leader, an Indian military leader, West African military leaders. Like, we're kind of seeing, like, all the different forces. This is, I was wondering if this was the first time we kind of saw this, because from what I remember early on in the series, there was basically just, there was, like, a space force, and it seemed to be all American military, and it was just, everything was about America. And and although we did know, of course, that there was, like, a United Nations, because there was that whole subplot with the United Nations leader and stuff. But so now we see that the Space Command essentially is made up of 
a bunch of different a countries. bunch of different generals from different countries. And this is this the first time that we've seen this. We've seen that there's the British military because we find a guy who's been stranded. Okay, and they've I think they've hinted at there's been people of different nationalities at one point for different people with different accents sort of thing flying. But this is the first time we've really officially known. Oh, there's a guy who's in charge of all the countries who are all cooperating together. Right. This is the first time. Right. Because I would like to like see some of those other carriers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, wouldn't it be awesome for, like, the Saratoga to, like, meet up with, like, one of the Indian air- oh. aircraft or... Uh, yeah, it's I a missed opportunity. Whatever, like, all this kind of stuff, sort of this international international thing. It would have been really awesome. It's definitely something we've talked about, like, what what's going on in the other places? We'd like to know. Yeah. I also noticed that the uh, the leader of the Indian brigade was the principal from Glee. I was like, hey, I know that guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It's fine. I just like when I get to recognize an actor. Yeah. Essentially, Roundhammer is going to be this planet-hopping, multi-month offensive where they're going to try to take back a bunch of planets on the way to the Chig homeworld. So it, it's been in the planning for months, and this is the big kickoff is on planet Demios, where they're going to go down and they're going to take back uh, a retro 50s-style diner they built on the planet that they lost to the Chigs. And, and also an airfield. And also an airfield. No, it's just the diner. It's all about the diner. Don't you wish, though, that the diner had been brought in earlier in the show and that was just a set they went to all the time? Like just an old broke down diner. I liked it. I wish they it'd been something they used before. It makes no sense, but I, I wish it was it had been used. It makes so little sense. So at the beginning, Luke neglected to mention that the, the very opening card before the episode started was, do you guys remember? It said, yeah. for our fathers and grandfathers at Guadalcanal. So it's like, okay, this is, what is this, you know, this is again, like their World War II, like ridiculous analogy over yeah. or whatever. So, which is very much, it's about, you know, Guadalcanal was about an airstrip basically, right? Like a, the battle was about an airstrip that went on for like six months. But like, my question is like, why do you need an airstrip in this space war? Like they have, they launch all of their fighters off of these carriers constantly. They have all kinds of planets, like why is this one planet with this dinky little airstrip? Like, why is this of strategic I, importance? I think that is sort of the problem is when they mention the airstrip, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I could see that. Like, it'd be good to have a planet base where you get repairs done. But when you finally see the airstrip, it really looks like not even a small town airport. Like, it looks like a rural place where crop dusters take off from. Like, yeah. It doesn't seem to have any importance at all. Yeah. And I get it. And if you're in World War II and you have limited range fighters and you're in the Pacific, it makes total sense that you need an actual airstrip. But in space, like, wouldn't it be a bigger base? Like, wouldn't, like, what is it? I, it didn't I, make I know why they spent all their money on the diner to replicate a 1950s diner I and they didn't so. have enough money to make the rest of the base. I, I think what it is is, yeah, they, they had access to an airstrip with a 50s diner on it. And they're like, great. That'll that'll be where we're shooting. Right. Yeah. But because the Chicks took it months ago from them, they're expecting this to be a pretty hard fight. Like, I think they estimate the the casualties at 80 percent on their side. Like, it's going to be heavy resistance they expect on this planet. So as the 58th goes to the mess hall, they notice they're getting real steak and real eggs. Yeah. Didn't you hope that someone was going to say, I'd rather have pancakes? <laughs> That's what I was hoping. A little, little throwback. Yeah. So we know this is going to be a really tough mission. So they launch the attack and uh, they kind of have a great little attack sequence where the Saratoga is firing down on a, on the very yellow planet Demios. It's it's very yellow. I know. And they don't and when they don't wear masks or anything down there. And I was like, there's no way that's got proper oxygen down there. This super, super yellow. Well, planet. unless that's the value of it is like we have an airstrip on a planet that has perfect oxygen for us. Right. And this it's so valuable because we don't have to waste any resources on suits 
maybe that's why it's special. That's it, true. Is this the battle where Vanson has like weird little quips and she, at one point she goes like, butter's melted. Oh, maybe. Yeah, they're all... They're <laughs> Did you getcha? It made me laugh. Butter's all, melted. I was like, what was she talking about? They're all launching like ground troops are landing. They're flying over for air cover. But they get down there and there's very little resistance to be found. We we do get to see uh, the old burnt out, burnt out shell of a helicopter from Pearly. It makes another appearance. Yeah. Uh, but it basically it seems like there's nobody there. Like at one point, and this is so terrible, they cut back up because they've all landed. There's no resistance. They cut back to the Chinese general and he says, it seems the fruit of victory have fallen into our mouths easily. I know. It was terrible. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? That's not how anyone would speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was not good. So since there's nothing to do, the 58th go for a raid of this 50 style diner where they're trying to find some food or get some stuff. Jordan, I know there's something you enjoyed in this scene. I loved scene. it. I loved it. They found out that the chicks pooped in the food. I know. I wrote that down. Was it the best yeah, thing ever? I know. But, and apparently it's high in protein. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, it all fits into you. And your, then it's funny. I, I'm watching it. And, and I'm watching it with Laura. And she goes, she, she said, well, why would they be pooping if the if, if it's worth money? And I was like, no, no, no. That's just my theory. <laughs> it's it's like, I've said it so many times now. People are believing that that's actually a thing. Laura just believes that's true. I think it's just because I've talked about it so much. <laughs> I imagine evenings at your house are very confusing. It's all space above and beyond all the time. <laughs> all chig poop time. All chig poop. Because nothing's going on, West has time to have a shave. Wang starts... Oh, with, with, an electric, with a weird futuristic electric shaver. Yeah. Honestly, more stuff like this. Don't you want more stuff like that in the show? Just a stupid electric shaver? I loved it. It was Wait. okay. It was okay, but no, because the show's so dour. It's like, yeah, have a stupid now, like, solar-powered electric razor. Please, more like that. Wang tells everyone a story about uh, the time the Lakers and the Bulls had a game from seven years ago where the Bulls were expected to lose. But since it was the 60th anniversary of Michael Jordan's 110 point game, the Bulls pulled it together and won just like they're doing on this planet. Yeah. And they did it in the ninth game because at one point the NBA decides now it's best of nine. <laughs> they just keep playing. They just they, force them. They just keep playing yeah, and keep, keep playing, playing and keep playing. But I thought it was funny because because he was Wang was like, do you remember this? And Hawks was like, I wasn't born yet. He was so angry. To have not been because he's nine, he's only nine years he's old. He's only nine, which you always forget. He's a little yeah. kid. He missed out. Oh, by so the way, much. you missed the episode where he loses his virginity. Oh no! Yeah, but it's gross because he's nine years old. Oh, <laughs> right. Also, it's to a prostitute. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. She's a tank, though. Yeah, it's a whole thing. She kisses his navel. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> but surprise, the chigs are hiding behind the moon. They As are. they do. Yeah. Classic chigs, huh? It's Pooping uh, in food and hiding behind moons. It's a very weird. Secret. Like, There's another sh- big ship, the USS Eisenhower. They're, they're flying down to provide air support. And they like catch a bogey behind the moon. And they like send a couple ships off after it and do no follow-up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ships don't show up. And they're like, oh, we're all on the dark side of the moon. It's fine. And then the commander of the Eisenhower is just like, all right, well, I don't want anyone fucking with me. I'm, gonna go, I'm just going to go in. And then she also, just goes in. Shouldn't, shouldn't she be played by Angela Lansbury? Is that what you thought? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I wrote it down. I thought that'd be great. I mean, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Is this the first female commander yeah. of it? And she's an idiot. Yeah. I'm annoyed by yeah. that. No, I, I wrote the same thing. I was like, of, co- of course she crashes the ship. Of course. Yeah. Essentially, the chicks show up and just start wrecking everything. They blow up this Eisenhower. They start just destroying everybody on the planet because they've been sitting there waiting my note was uh, so much for that last episode where we dropped those fake plans. Worked real well. Yeah. 
But as this is happening, we kind of pull back to this Supreme Commander hanging out with old uh, Commodore Ross. And some military guy pops in with big news as they're like watching their plan fall apart. And he says that all these chigs are from a fleet that was guarding a planet called Planet, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this now, Ixion. Ixion. And this was a hyper-fortified planet very near the Chig homeworld that basically was never on their plans to take because it was just too hard to take. But since this fleet is from there, they've left it undefended. So they think they can turn this military disaster into a military, I don't know, what's the episode of disaster? Victory? Victory? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And he called it the greatest military disaster. Like ever. Ever. Like it had been going on for like five minutes and it was already (laughs) the greatest military disaster ever. This guy, this Supreme Commander, he gives up so easily. Yeah. (laughs) He's just constantly giving up in this episode. But they basically make this plan where if they abandon Damios and everybody on it right now and make a run to uh, Ixion, maybe they can take that and it'll be more strategic importance. They're basically throwing the entire plan out the window to make this like long shot run. But it's, it's it seems like a good opportunity. I mean, Commodore Ross is upset because he wants someone to think of the children who are down on the planet. Yeah. So they're basically having to abandon them there and just leave them there for who knows. They don't even know for how long presumably to their deaths if they can yeah. if they can't make it but the um, supreme commander needs to make his decision so he does the only logical thing and asks mcqueen some guy so far down the ranks he's like hey you like military history right what do you what do you think about my this idea and yeah. then he gives like this long drawn out military he's history thing it's like oh about guadalcanal and it's like oh God. Uh, yeah i know yeah. but it's not like they didn't resupply them there it's not even the same. There was just an airstrip. That's the only similarity is that it was it took a long time and there was an airstrip. Yeah. The idea is that I guess in World War II when they left Guadalcanal to do something else, they left a bunch of soldiers there who had just had to fight for eight months. But I don't think that's true. But that's why this episode is dedicated to our fathers and our grandfathers. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't know very much about But nothing that I read about Guadalcanal involved the military leaving and not resupplying the allied forces it was a long battle and they were in like they were they were constantly fighting different offensives over this airstrip but like they had resupplies like every couple days if anyone lost supplies it was the japanese the japanese didn't get resupplied a bunch of times because for various reasons right they're busy so i don't know (laughs) just it just seemed too convenient i mean i think this is one of those things that we keep bumping on is they creators definitely love to tie their episodes into world war ii it would have been fine to use this as a jumping off place, but just maybe don't constantly refer back to the battle you're trying to specifically replicate. Yeah. It just, it makes it awkward. And well, it not- also feels like a crutch a lot of the time because instead of doing like the real character work that I feel like they could be doing with the interesting characters that they have available to them, they're just constantly leaning leaning on plot based on, you know, his military history and thinking that that in itself will make the episode fulfilling for viewers. Right. But it... I, I think it. I think you're right. It's the writers are really interested in the military history, but they might be the only ones. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely not one of those. I'm people. not. No, it's it's my least favorite part of the show. I don't mind it. I just I I maybe just don't need it driven into my head every. Five as minutes. soon as I see an episode start with a title card, I know I'm in for a rough ride. <laughs> anyway, the fleet's gonna fuck off to this other planet. Commodore Ross calls down to whoever's left alive, hence the wild cards, and he gives them kind of two code words. More code words. I love it. He's like, it's a black forest and a red sea. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Well, what, what is a black forest? 
don't know. The Black Forest was no air support. What's a Red Sea? No ground reinforcement. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. They're, they're, they're being abandoned down there. But he does authorize them to surrender to the Chigs if they need to. Which, again, that whole thing was goofy because it's like you have these two code words that are presumably in order to keep secret. You don't want the Chigs to know that there's going to be no air support right. and no ground reinforcement. But then, so you use these code words and then in English you're like, but it, you're authorized to surrender and do your best. So like, it's it's just so contextually obvious that they're abandoning them. Yeah. Why even bother with the code words? Like, if the Chigs are listening, they're going to know what you're doing. I mean, that's true. I mean, and like, you're literally flying away. The Chigs are going <laughs> to figure it out pretty yeah. quickly. Oh, yeah. they they left them there. And because it was we find, they leave them there for two months. Yeah. yeah. We go to commercial break and we cut back. It's two months yeah, later. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. That, I wasn't really expecting that. I wasn't expecting that we were going to jump in time that I much. I didn't either. So that was, I like that. Yeah, we, we kind of catch up with the 58th. Now they've been abandoned on this planet for so long. They're basically kind of dodging chigs and finding bodies to bury. They've kind of used that to fill their time. And as they sort of find bodies, they'll like go through their stuff and kind of take their valuables and their, and their condoms. Yeah, okay. their condoms. That was a big... And he's like, a man's got to have hope. Well, here's here's the thing. It, it was supposed to be like a funny little moment. So there's a dead guy and... Uh, Wang goes through his wallet and finds the condom, takes the condom, and Vance and sort of catches him. And he, yeah, he does his line. I was like, I got a hope. But my point was, why would the soldier have a wallet with him down on the planet? Was he gonna be buying stuff? He has a wallet. Well, it's not even a just diner. Like, Maybe he was. Yeah, he, he was. was he thought was, he was gonna buy some some sugar dirt at the diner. I guess his <laughs> wallet on him. Stupid. <laughs> I, well, you make a good point. I hadn't considered it, but yeah, why would he have his wallet on him? The Chigs, as you mentioned earlier, are are using sort of psychological tactics to try to draw out the remaining people who are still like alive on the planet that so, was hilarious yeah it's the best part of the episode it was they, so funny they have like this like chig ghetto blaster that's like spouting human language out um what what were the quotes that came out of this little box i, I have one which was abe lincoln is dead abe lincoln is dead was the first one and then and then the, the 58 they're looking at each other like what that of course that makes no sense they're doing so they're so bad at taunting us and then, and then the next one is the Chicago Cubs suck. And then Wang gets so pissed. He's like, I'm going to get those fuckers and jumps up. And look, go, it was Goes so after funny. Them. They specifically knew that there'd be someone who supported a Chicago sports team. That's right. There's always one. That's what Yeah, the there's always know. one. Yeah. Well, plus he was already talking about it earlier at the diner. So maybe they were listening. That's true. Maybe maybe I mean, He was talking true. about the Bulls, but still. What they should have done is mentioned his confession tape that he's always so upset about. <laughs> should have that would have drawn him out. Because you know the silicates would have given it to him. <laughs> That confession tape. No, they stepped on it. It's over. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Hawks kept yelling, you eat yellow snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. was funny. Yeah, he was taunting back. You know what the funny thing is? He's, he's actually a pretty good character that they sometimes use, but they just I just think there was so much more you could do with him as this, because they've really started playing up as time's gone on that he's this um, somewhat naive kind of character. And then you get lines like that, which are funny, but it, they seem kind of few and far between. Yeah, he's very irritated this episode. And that's right. He starts yelling like childish insults at yeah. the chigs but and you'll kind of see he's a real debbie downer all episode yeah he is yeah i i don't do you blame him though i would have been that guy no question i'd have been that guy i would be that guy too maybe two the, months the thing that but this is where i was getting into what i mentioned earlier about these characters and how even though it's supposed to be sort of serialized these characters aren't changing very much like to just see hawks be pissed 
all the time and angry and like he felt it felt like he was his same character from the first episode of the show where he hadn't learned anything he hadn't learned to be a part of the team he hadn't like where is that character evolution that you're expecting when you when you see something it's just because they needed someone to be that character to be that character i know but they do that all the time on the show it could have been wang it could have been damn foos and i think they've all kind of played that role uh once or twice in the past but yeah it was just like who do we have it's not gonna be van since it's gotta be one of the other ones and this is i mean we're near the end of the first season we have the opportunity to have you know these characters together going through something really tough it would have been much more interesting if hawks actually stepped up and and became sort of a you know a right hand man to Vanson for example right. and was trying to keep stuff together because he's like oh you know I've yeah, learned like, over the course of Vanson my time gets with you. hurt or something and then someone has to take that place and he realizes the impact she'd had on the team and it's like now I have to I should take over that yeah. place but yeah they don't all it's, of these great missed it, opportunities and instead he's just the same grumpy guy who wishes that he didn't have friends from the beginning yeah I mean I also was a bit sad because they've been starting to try to build that Vanson Hawks romance but I'm like after the like after he spent this entire time being so whiny on this planet there's like there's no way that would ever pan out for them like right he's getting in her face constantly just yelling at her for no reason I'm like she would never come around to this guy now yeah yeah I feel like maybe again this is like a writing thing where the writers are just like okay these characters are like this so they're they've been tasked to they've been assigned to write in the writer's room that's like okay you'll write episode 21 where you're, you're you know where this is the story and so they just take these characters and slot them into these old profiles that don't actually move with the story or move with the times just seems very very badly coordinated I think it's not what the writers were interested in. What they were right. interested in was telling World War II stories in space. Right, and just doing a variety And so the of... characters were a secondary thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, that's just what it is. And again, kind of to the show's detriment. Now, it's not something that was something I would like because what I like is space and adventures in space and stuff. Um, and they do it occasionally. And every now and then they'll do an episode and you're like, this is really fun and this is really good. And then it's like an abusive relationship where they're, you know, they don't they don't call. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate they're on the planet and it's at this point we finally get to the namesake for the episode they find a supply drop that was sort of dropped from space to keep them alive but it's been torched by the chigs and all that's left is foot powder inside of it and they're all pretty distraught about it but we see Wang on his knees sort of very I don't know upset that this supply drop is gone and for some reason he puts his hand into this dirt and notices that it's like sweet because I guess whatever sugar was inside of this container melted out was it burnt into the dirt. And he starts just eating fistfuls of dirt because there's sugar in it. I know. And they, and then it's a weird scene. It's like a zombie scene where they all start doing it and eating it. But it's like you're still eating dirt. Yeah. There just is a scramble around yeah. this pile of dirt. And doesn't Vanson give a look like what is happening? Yeah. Vanson's the only one who doesn't join in as like the other four members are like face first shoveling dirt and like wolf, like wolves on an elk's carcass. I mean, that's alien planet dirt too. Like what is in there? <laughs> yeah, there's guaranteed a little bit of chick poop in there. It was a very strange scene. One they named the show after. Um, and I will say, I don't think I've ever watched an episode of a show where characters ate dirt before. So it was uh, at least the first for me. Yeah. yeah. There is one thing, though, that has kept the 58th going on this planet while they've kind of been trapped down there without support is every day, I think at 0, 0900 hours, 1900, 1900 hours. Yeah. thank you, 1900 hours, they set up their little communications ray and they call up to the Saratoga and basically give them an update on what's been going on on the planet. Mm-hmm. However, 
while these updates are coming in, they've become a kind of a pain in the ass to the Saratoga because the rest of the fleet is in the middle of a super cool, epically scaled yeah. space battle for the planet Exion, which is like seriously good. It's like large scale space warfare. Like they do a good job for the 90s. Like the effects aren't perfect, but like it looks like the beginning of a Battlestar Galactic or something. Like they're yep. fighting huge ships. There's planes flying everywhere, explosions. It's like almost like Deep Space Nine worthy at the end when they were, had the Dominion Wars. Like it, mm-hmm. it, I'm like, oh, this is great. I like this war. And it's very funny because uh, the 58th are the leads of our show. They're just missing out on the best part of this show. They're yeah. just stuck on this planet. E- eating sugar dirt. Eating sugar dirt. Yeah. The rest of the people are having like the best military battle the show's ever done. Well, yeah. like I think the scene right after the sugar dirt was actually it cut to McQueen and Ross like drinking whiskey. <laughs> Yeah, like that was literally the and then and then the battle ensued after that. But it's just like, man, poor guys. They're they're really missing out on probably like one of the highlights of the show for me was this like battle for uh, for Ixion Ixion. But basically, when they call in, they kind of interrupt the channels every day, so they get to know that our fifty eighth is still alive, but this kind of calling at an inconvenient time. However, since the battle for Ixion isn't going great, they're not like winning it as easily as they thought they would. The supreme commander of the Earth forces uh, wants to give up and run away again. Yeah, it's yeah, like he's his, the worst. I, I didn't ever. understand that because it, it seemed like every time they were in a battle, he's like, "We'll just pull out." Every time. Yeah, anytime he runs into any resistance, this commander's just like, ah, "Run away, everybody! Let's get out of here." Yeah. <laughs> However, thankfully, these daily calls the 58th have been giving them finally come in handy because they call up and. Their commitment to like sticking to their job and letting the Saratoga know every day what mundane dirt eating they're up to or whatever <laughs> they call up about every day. I don't even know what are they saying. It's like today uh, we saw a bird. Uh, I buried a guy. Well, that's what it is. That it's really boring. Uh, you know, the only exciting day was when they called up and they said, and Vance is like, and we ate a bunch of sugar dirt. And they're like, what? What is happening? But they can't respond. It's the only exciting time because all the updates have just been about you know a tree they saw. But this. There's these mundane updates inspire Commodore Ross to uh, get in the Supreme Commander's face. He about, gets all emotional. That's It was pretty in- intense. He's like, you suck. You're a terrible Supreme Commander. We're going to keep fighting this battle of Ixion. We're not going to retreat. We can't do that again. And because of this, I guess the 58th inspires the entire fleet to finally win they take the planet ixion it's a big success it's the the greatest battle of the of the wars happened and uh our leads are nowhere to be found <laughs> also it's the greatest battle don't worry you're not going to see it you see a few glimpses of it but because yeah. our leads aren't there you don't get much of it the glimpses of it i i loved i'm like ah i would watch more of this you get a lot of the uh uh the main characters walk around with a lot of dry ice around them you get that <laughs> fog machines everywhere yeah, exactly and as they win this battle, we we get to go back to Demios, where the 58th finally just breaks their radio. So they now have no communications, but Vanson doesn't let them all in on that. He, she wants them to have some stability in their lives. And they sort of accidentally, in their like, months they've been there, have walked in a big circle. Yeah, then I was trying to figure out what they were trying to accomplish. Were they trying to go to a specific place and then because when they said oh we're back at the airstrip i was like is that a bad thing is that a good thing i know i thought it was like i thought they were gonna be like oh we've accomplished it we've mapped the entire area but it was like oh no we've gone in a circle but you're right it's like well what were you trying to do get as far away from the airstrip as possible for what purpose yeah you're just sort of walking aimlessly like were you just (laughs) looking for like what was your actual because in order to keep a group going for two months with low, no supplies, or whatever, you have to have a mission. 
Like you have to have some plan. You have to at least which is, pretend. Which to have is a as annoying as Hawks was. He was right because it's like, why are we calling up if they're yeah. just if they're if their mission is literally just to walk around? Yeah. Why are they giving up? Yeah, their mission was to not die, basically. But yeah. they should have, even if they didn't have they orders. Died? Well, Vanson should have come up with something. She should have come up with some tasks, yeah. right? Beyond guess, just burying bodies. That yeah, I guess that was it. They were they wandered aimlessly, burying any bodies they found, and they just stumble back to the fifty style diner. Everybody, but especially Hawks, is just like whiny as hell at this point. Well, they basically don't they didn't they hear something that or they see in the sky? They're like, oh, that's that must be the Chigs. That are coming. There's, there's new recruits coming down. So basically, this is going to be the end. We've it's, we've been suffering for two months. Yeah. And now reinforcements are coming. They're going to come attack us. And we don't have any Yeah. So we're going to give up. So they yeah. go and they sit in the diner. And they're basically waiting to die. They're yeah. waiting for well, this they find attack out, force to They come. find out Vanson's lied to them about the radio breaking. They see these ships coming down. They're sure it's a Chig death squad coming to get them. And they, they decide to eat their final meal, which is a, a packet of sugar that Wang has been hoarding. So that everyone gets... One finger wet to the knuckle. Yeah, it was disgusting. <laughs> dipped into this Everybody's packet. Everybody's just licking their fingers and sticking it in the like packet. Like those, what was, what was that candy one? Fun like fun dip? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like that, but much grosser. Yeah, that's so that's their, and that's their final meal. And I honestly was watching this and I was like, did an actual chig write this episode? Because whoever did seems to think the only thing humans eat are sugar. Right. There's a lot of sugar eating in this episode. You're right. You don't... You don't get the sense they're eating anything. They find sugar dirt and they eat that. And the next time you see them eating, it's like, oh, I've got more sugar we can eat. I'm just like, who who imagined yeah. this is all these people are interested in just eating as much sugar as they can? <laughs> they're not hummingbirds. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as they're sitting there waiting to die, lights dramatically fill the windows of the 50s diner. They all pull out their knives because they're going to fight the chicks to the end. And the door opens to reveal McQueen all backlit. And doesn't he have like some funny line like, honey, I'm home or something it, like it that? He says, sorry to just drop in, but you don't call anymore. Yeah. Because his uh, the radio's broken. Was, I thought it was yeah. cute. I liked it. He, I liked it too. I thought it was a great, because he, he opens the door and he like gives it a beat. And I'm like, he's been thinking about this the whole way down. He's like, what am I going to say when I get there? And he's like, oh, I got it. I but got he it. didn't know they were alive. I mean, that's the other thing is they hadn't, he hadn't heard from them for 12 days. So well, he, here's the thing though. What if he gave that funny line and then he actually gets a glance and there's like one of them left and they've eaten the other people? <laughs> Suddenly it's not such a funny line anymore, is it? It was true. He doesn't really know they're alive. He doesn't even really know they're in that diner. Yeah, can you imagine this, like, there's scenes where he's gone to three other diners and he keeps delivering lines. He's like, damn it, they're not here either. All right, hold on. We'll go next one. I'll get it. They're, they're here somewhere, you guys. It's going to be real funny. They're going to love it. <laughs> anyway, that kind of wraps up the episode. They go up to the hospital and kind of have to get, like, treated after being on the planet for, I don't know, three months or whatever. Commodore Ross comes in and, like, shares his emotions with him. About he's so Sanya's. emotional this episode. He actually Ugh. says, as a man, I must share my emotions. I know. And then I was he like, says a bunch Please of don't share your emotions with us. <laughs> and, I mean, that kind of wraps up the episode. They, they've lived on this planet for a few months. Well, the rest of the fleet was off winning the war, basically. And the last shot of the episode is they're all, they're all, they're all lying in their hospital beds and I think it's West says, like, I feel like I should be doing something, but I can't think what it is. And then Vanson, like, smile cries and looks up at the clock, and it's 1900 hours. Oh. That's the last shot of, yeah. of, the, of the show. They're it's conditioned a, to always want to call it. To always want to call it 1900 hours. And it was a cool clock. It was like a 24 hour clock. 
that you guys don't remember no, yeah i do i remember well, I, so here's the thing this is my big question so it's a 24-hour clock right they so it's all the hours that go all so 1900 is like around the side but if that's the clock that they use then why are they saying two o'clock five o'clock seven o'clock when they're dog fighting yeah it's a um just a mistake that's why <laughs> that was what You're it, fine with it doesn't yeah. matter but I, I, that wraps up those two episodes. I, I had a couple side notes. Jordan, you actually got into one of them already. Um, but the, these episodes that revealed two things about Commodore Ross. His guitar's name, mm-hmm. Rosalind. Is that it? Yeah, Rosalind. They also revealed Commodore Ross's first name. Oh, did they? What did they say? I believe uh, the general in the first episode said calls him Glenn. Oh, Glenn. He shows his family photos too, which I was a little disappointed weren't like futuristic photos. They were just like a normal, normal photo. But he also... Because uh, it's the only things I enjoyed in the episode. Do you notice he drinks out of a fun space mug? Oh, I did. It's just, it's just shaped weirdly. Like it's very pointy at the bottom. It's sort of like a gigantic teacup. Oh, Anyways, I, so I was like, ooh, space mug. I enjoyed that. Uh, the other little side note I made was in both of these episodes, that chaplain, that priest guy appears in both of them. He's appeared at minimum four episodes. You're now. right. Yeah. He's actually become a returning character for some reason. It's very weird. This chapter. He's even had some. He's even had some like longer scenes. That the one where McQueen decided to go out on his own and fight the battle. He had like more dialogue than just. I mean, he's mostly just giving. uh, He's just funeral rites. Yeah, funeral rites. But it's very funny. They of all these side characters, they keep introducing and losing track of. Not this chaplain. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you want to give us your final thoughts, and we'll get into kind of some scores for this episode. Jane, you want to start us off with Stardust. Yeah, Stardust, I mean, I liked it. I liked a lot of the ideas that were in the episode. I I think as we talked about, the execution was a little bumpy, which tends to be the case, I guess, with this show. And I also thought it was overly slow. Like, I felt like they lacked, they were lacking content for the for the episode and there were things that took way longer than they should just shots that they held for too long or or scenes that they took a hell of a long time to establish so on account of all of those things weighing those things my my rating for that is 6.5 6.5 yeah jordan thoughts on stardust uh, you know i feel the similar way i think for a lot of these episodes that they came close but they sort of just came up short on almost everything they tried on this and there was a lot of more interesting ideas that they could have executed instead of the actual episode we got. So I'll give it a six. Six. Interesting. I I think I feel very similar about both of these episodes in that I liked sort of the overarching themes of the series. Like we're getting toward Roundhammer. We're sort of seeing how these missions play into this like larger scale battle. Like I like getting finally glimpses of like, oh, that's how this war is moving forward definitely has many of the same weak points that other episodes have had, like weird subplots that don't go anywhere and kind of spin the wheels of the show. But I mean, overall, looking back over all the things, this was a pretty reasonable episode for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a seven. All right. And then Sugar Dirt. So I really liked this episode. I, I think, you know, it's always very tempting to be like, but there's a better version of this episode that could have happened. I mean, that's constantly that's okay. happening. It's how you show. enjoy it. But but I, I really liked it. I found I was surprised by some of the twists and turns. I didn't expect them to jump time the way they did. I thought that was interesting. I think they tried really hard to create some nice emotional moments for a lot of the characters you know the connection between like McQueen and the 58th even though they were far away and when they get interrupted on the radio you didn't mention this when they get interrupted on the radio McQueen what the radio dispatcher at one point calls back to them and says stop 
yeah, stop jamming up us. our frequency. And McQueen gets pissed and he's like, never let them know that they are not needed. Like he, I don't know. I just felt like there was this really nice connection between the characters and I liked it. And I thought, you know, story was, I thought it was pretty good. So I would, I would give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half. Yeah. Holy moly. Eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bringing up, I'm bringing up the average of the show just for you. Jordan. Uh, I found I found it similar to the last one. Uh, I'm gonna give an extra point five though because the chigs pooped in the diner. Six point five. <laughs> I uh, I I actually I liked these two episodes. I liked them back to back. I felt like they were working for me. I mean, there was the problems that we've run into the show, but like as far as me watching, I'm like yeah, this is okay. These were like okay episodes of the show. Ones I enjoyed. I liked the military stuff. Some of the character stuff didn't work for me. But when I was looking at kind of the battle in space and this fight for Ixion, I'm like, I was like, oh, I like this part. I maybe cared less about what was happening on the planet. But overall, I think it's a 7.5 for me. Hmm. I think it was there were they were good episodes of the show of the show that hmm. I, I enjoyed watching after watching some really lackluster ones last week. I was like, oh, here we go. These are these ones I can get into. These ones did have plots. I'll give them that. As I said before, the previous two we watched were just like like an insane person wrote them. Yeah, no, they were very schizophrenic. All right, I'm I'm going to skip over the series average right now because I think we know there's one more episode. There's no yeah. reason to check the computer. We're not going to escape pot out of the show at this point. And I'll save it as a surprise for next week what the final final overall score for this series is. Well, Jane, I think that wraps it up. Thanks for joining us again this week. It was really good to get your kind of perspective, having been earlier on in the show, coming back and kind of seeing how it was uh, near the end. And I think... Maybe not as good as the one of the episodes you watched last time, but certainly better than the enemy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me. I had a good time. And, you know, like I said, I'd hope to kind of watch all of the episodes leading up to this. But in some ways, I'm glad I didn't because it's an interesting thing to do to jump from the sixth episode of a series to the 20th episode and sort of figure out sort of the, the successes and the flaws of the series in that way. So, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I'm glad we had you back. It was interesting to hear that perspective because it, it has changed since the beginning. So you kind of got to see when it was at its most fledgling and kind of maybe when it probably got to the best it was ever going to get was these two episodes. I mean, as far as like the overall series is like, this is as far as it got and as good as it was going to get, I think, because mm, yeah, it's canceled after this. In the meantime, if you want to email us about the show or since we'll be moving on soon, you won't have much time to do that. You can email us at continuandrag at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on Instagram and Twitter where we'll probably have people eating dirt. Yeah, they've got to be eating dirt on Instagram. They got Everybody's got to eat some dirt on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, but otherwise, thanks for joining us, Jane. Jordan, good talking to you again. And listener, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. That's it. Bye. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>